Well, this morning, I'm gonna to talk to you about a living hope that sustains in dark places. Um, as we go through dark places in our lives, we're in the book of First Peter, and First Peter starts off by talking, Peter talks about the churches abroad in Asia Minor, and he calls them elect exiles. Exiles. In other words, you're not part of the majority culture. You march to a different drumbeat. It's called the drumbeat of the Holy Spirit through the apostolic message. You are elect exiles. And as this book unfolds and you keep looking at it and turning it upside down and in and out, unless you understand and come to terms with the transcendent nature or the eternal nature of the message of this book, you're not going to get it. So Peter is saying, you're elect exiles, your home is in heaven. He comes out of the gate saying that. Your, your home is in heaven. He says in chapter one, for example, verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded, set your hope completely or fully on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ comes again. So he says, you know, as you walk as elect exiles, you set your grace fully or completely on the grace of the living Christ that will be yours when he comes again. So, so you just can't make sense of the, the key is understanding some of these things that we are uh, elect exiles, that we have a future glorious inheritance that awaits us in heaven. I said last week, I'm quoting a man named C.S. Lewis who wrote a little book called Mere Christianity. And there is a four-page chapter on hope. And Lewis says, when you think about hope, there are three approaches to hope that he's observed. The first is what he calls the fool's way, where you think, well, if there's just the next big event or the next big friendship, the next big vacation, the next big job, the next big transfer from this zip code to this zip code, then I will finally arrive. And Lewis says, it's the quest for more that never gets you where you want to go. That's the fool's way. And the second is the disillusioned but sensible man who says, basically speaking, in life, in most areas, you operate on the law of diminishing returns. And so when you come to terms with that, you just keep a stiff upper lip, you breathe deeply, and you go forward, which is a tough way to live. The third way is the Christian way of hope that says we are living here, but we are made for another glorious reality called eternity. And so we walk through this life with the hope of heaven. And he says in a very memorable statement in that little book, those who are the most heavenly minded are the most earthly good. Now, let me say this. To get this, brothers and sisters in Christ, church, you've got to intentionally think deeply. You will not get any help from the surrounding culture. You just won't. Uh, I read the Wall Street Journal. It's a fairly conservative newspaper with a great editorial section and a wonderful book review on the weekend. But the, the Wall Street Journal is conservative. And I, I, I never read anything, rarely anything, that talks about there is an eternity and that is our hope. I just don't read it. You just don't see it. And I was reading a book on history recently and, and I read some of these things. Let me just share this. Uh, for example, Thomas Jefferson 
Our third president, who was a non-believer, who mocked the supernatural in the New Testament, who took a week, on a long weekend, he cut up his New Testament to eliminate those passages that dealt with the supernatural, and he said, this is now my Bible. That's Thomas Jefferson. But Thomas Jefferson said, when in the midst of adopting the U.S. Constitution, that we did not deal with the issue of slavery, including Jefferson, by the way, this is what Jefferson said. He said, I, I, I tremble for my country when I remember that God is just, close quote. God is just. And we're not willing to deal with this horrendous issue. Fast forward a few years. There's a guy named Davy Crockett from Tennessee, king of the wild frontier. Remember the song, killed him a bar when he was only three? Remember that, Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett was a well-thought congressman from Tennessee. He ended up at the age of 49 going to Texas and being killed at the Alamo by Santa Ana in uh, 1845. But in, in 1831, there was an act passed called the Indian Removal Act, spearheaded by a president from South Carolina named Andrew Jackson. And basically it took the Cherokee Indians of Georgia, 16 or 18,000, and moved them west of the Mississippi because we thought there was going to be a gold rush in Georgia. It didn't really happen, but that's what they were thinking. And so that was a very popular move by, by the president. And it's called the Trail of Tears. And on that movement, about 18,000 or so Cherokee Indians and about 30% of them died of starvation and exposure. The Trail of Tears is a horrible chapter in the life of our country. Well, Davy Crockett stood up and spoke resolutely against that. And he voted against that. And he spoke against the president and became very unpopular and he was not reelected. And this is what he said. He said, I gave a good, honest vote, one that I believe will not make me ashamed on the day of judgment, close quote. Now, can you imagine a congressman standing up and saying, I voted this way because there's gonna be a day of judgment and I'm gonna answer to the resurrected Christ. Or a few years later, 1864, there's a president named Abraham Lincoln who gives undoubtedly one of the three or four most magnificent addresses in the history of our nation called the Second Inaugural Address. It's a very short address. But his key theme in that address is this statement. He says, the judgments of the Lord are true and altogether righteous. So I'm saying that, that there was a time in the past where an understanding of heaven or eternal things was at least spoken of is dead today. So, so to live the way we need to live, we need to think very deeply. Now, Peter is writing to those people who are being marginalized, spoken against, lampooned, criticized, and socially pushed in the corner. And it's going to get worse, he says. You, you are a minority, you're elect exiles, and it's a letter, listen, for us today. <clears throat> As you are at times marginalized, pushed in the corner, lampooned, criticized, and unfairly maligned. People sometimes say to me, they say, well, the Bible, you know, the Bible, you Christians in the Bible, it's just not a very honest book. I think you've never read the Bible. This is maybe the most honest book I have ever read. I mean, it really is. Listen to some of these verses about being marginalized. First Peter chapter two and verse 12 says this. <clears throat> Keep your conduct among the Gentiles or the nations honorable 
so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he comes again. Listen, when they speak against you, Peter says, it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. He says, you, you, you gird up yourself, you get ready, it's going to happen. Chapter 3, verse 16 says this. Have, have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, he's saying, churches, you're going to be slandered. You're going to be spoken against unjustly. When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Or, or chapter 4 and verse 12 says this, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Fiery trials are going to come. Fiery trials will come. So this is a very honest book. It's it's, it's a sobering book and it's filled with that. So so in, in the midst of all this, in the midst of this talking about trials and hardships and being a minority report, verse six says this, in this you rejoice. Or one version says, so be truly glad. What are you talking about, Peter? Persecutions, hardships, marginalized, social push. What are you talking about? What in the world are you talking about? But he's talking about this. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. He's talking about an inheritance, he says, an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and it will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, I want to hit that again this week. I just mentioned it last week. There's, brothers and sisters, there is an inheritance. If you've trusted in Christ, you have an inheritance reserved in heaven. And he uses three words to describe it. It is imperishable. It is undefiled, which means non-defaced by sin or shortcomings, and it is not fading away. Uh, that's that's imperishable. Let's say that you have a friend, you're going to have a dinner party at their house in two weeks, and they call you and say, just want you to know that I was at the grocery store today or at the farmer's market or wherever, and I, that they had bananas or avocados or tomatoes or, red, or raspberries on sale and I, 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 bought you, I bought you some, and I will give them to you in two weeks when you come to the dinner party. What do you say? You say, well, I, I need to come over there now because those things don't last two weeks. You see, they're, they're, they're perishable items. This salvation is imperishable. It, it doesn't spoil. It doesn't have an expiration date. It's good for eternity, and it's reserved in heaven for you. Be glad. Then he says this. It is undefiled, which means tainted by sin or shortcomings or your failures. No, it's reserved in heaven for you. Years ago, Sarah and I were in India, and we were with a a friend who's a missionary and his wife, and they said in this big, huge city, there's a warehouse in downtown area, and people just, they buy furniture, and there's some beautiful furniture there at a really good price, and it's just a dusty warehouse, and you may want to go look at it just for fun. I thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'll 
we'll go just for fun. We're going to be in the area. So we went in there. It was a big warehouse, and it was just crammed with furniture. And it, it was, there's nobody there to welcome you and to give you, you know, you know some tea or anything. They were just, come on in. And as I walked through the warehouse, there over in the corner, there was a marble table. And it was beautiful. It was just a beautiful table. And I'm, I'm not an aesthetic guy. But I saw that table and I went, wow. And so marble tabletop. So I, I said to one of the guys there, I said, how much is that? And he said, this many rupees. And I said, help me out. What is that in U.S. dollars? And he told me, I went, you got to be kidding me. I, I couldn't buy something like that in the U.S. I'd have to pay 20 times that much. And I went, really? He said, yes. Yeah. What does it cost to ship it to the U.S.? And he told me, I went, hmm, we can do that. I thought, we can do that. And there's another piece we got two pieces, and they, they said, we crate them up, we do this, we wrap it, just put in plywood. It's, it's done well. We ship things all over the world. And so we bought it. Two months later, got a call from the Charleston port. You have a package here, two packages. I went running down there to pick up, put it on the truck, brought it home, gingerly took it off, opened it, and this beautiful marble table had a scratch down the middle. Somehow when put in together, somebody had, it's still beautiful. But you see, it was somewhat defiled. The beauty had been taken away to a degree. And I thought, but it, was a, it was a great message to me in this regard. My salvation is reserved in heaven. My inheritance is reserved in heaven and it's undefiled. Every person here has issues where they're twisted, they're broken, they're struggling. And, and every person here needs to run to the reality of Christ and say, I have an inheritance that is undefiled. It's reserved in heaven for me. There's no hymn that says, dark is the stain that I cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, the blood of the cross. See, the reality of Christ and his death for you means you have an inheritance that is undefiled and cannot be touched by time. And because of that, verse 6, so be truly glad. And the third thing he says is this, it, is, it doesn't fade away. Listen, everything fades. Everything fades. There's, um, I'll, I'll sometimes be reading on the internet and there'll be an article that says, this person is always a woman. This person is now 51, 55, 59, whatever, and she still looks good. And I, I, whenever I see that, I laugh. What is the operative word in that statement? Still. Still. What they're saying is, she's getting old, but she's hanging in there. It's fading, but she's still kind of got the, 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 the glory. You know, she can still, in a really dark room, pass for 30 years old in a really dark room with people that can't see very well. <laughs> she still looks good. I mean, it, it, it fades. Football season starts this week. Praise God, hallelujah, amen. You know, <laughs> be happy and joyful. Thanks be to God. Anyway, there is a team in our state, a college team. 
It is located in a part of the state that is culturally backwards, but we love them anyway. Uh, and it's a great school. And I talk to students all the time from this school that has this thing going on. And they, uh, they say, man, we went to the national championship this year, went to the semifinal national championship. And, and I, I'll smile and say, enjoy it. It will not last. Not that I think there's anything wrong with the program, but that's just the way life goes. Everything fades. You don't have the same person that wins the Academy Award every year, do you? It, it just fades. Let me tell you what doesn't fade. The Word of God, your soul, and the reality of heaven never fades. Never fades. These things don't fade. And I, when, I, when I think about the fading nature of life, I, I think about a word, the same word that's used from the previous part of the verse, imperishable. It talks about women, and we'll talk about this in a few months, but verse four of chapter three says this. It talks about women. Don't, don't let your beauty be, be uh, piling up your hair or wearing expensive clothes necessarily or, or gold jewelry, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable. Isn't that a great word? with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So, so there's an inner part of your person, whether you're a man or a woman, when you develop your heart and the things of the Lord, it is too imperishable. And it's a beautiful statement. So, so these things, then he says this, protected by the power of God through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed when Jesus comes again. So the word protected means garrisoned. God watches over you. God in his majesty has set an army on the ramparts. There's a huge, he's guarding your soul. He is protecting you by the power of God. In fact, this passage answers two key questions and when you go through life. The first question is this, is I am not worthy to be part of the kingdom of God. Absolutely right. That's why it says he's caused you to be born again to a living hope. God worked in your heart. God loved you with an everlasting love. You're foreknown by the knowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus and sprinkling with his blood continuously. No, you're, you're not worthy. It's the cross that makes you worthy. But the second question is this. And you're young. You're, let's say you're 25, 30, 35. And you look at some of these old saints that are, you know, 75 and 80 and 85, and they're going for it. And you have this thought in your mind. It says, I'm not so sure I'm going to make it. I know the struggles of my heart. I know my inclinations. I know this. I'm just not so sure that, I, that I'm going to hit, hit the tape hard. I'm not so sure I'm going to keep on running this race because I, I just know myself. Let me give you some incredible hope. You are kept by the power of God. If, if I believed that going strong was determined primarily by you or me, I'd be despairing. But going strong is determined by the God who protects you, who's given you his Holy Spirit. So man, be glad. Be very glad. You are protected by the power of God. There's a wonderful book called Pilgrim's Progress written by a guy named John Bunyan who died in 1688. John Bunyan was in prison for 12 years because he preached the gospel. That was it, 12 years. 
And while I was in prison, he wrote the vast majority of a book called Pilgrim's Progress. It's the number two bestseller in the English language world behind the Bible. It's a wonderful book. It's an allegory about a man named Pilgrim who's going to heaven and he goes through all these different episodes in his life. And in this allegory, Pilgrim goes to the house of the interpreter. And I think it's my favorite part of the book. In the house of the interpreter, the interpreter takes him to different rooms and he shows him different aspects of the Christian life. And he takes him into one room and there is a fire that's blazing in the room. And there's a man standing in front of them with buckets of water throwing it on the fire, trying to quench the fire. But the fire still burns brighter and brighter. And, and Pilgrim turns to the interpreter and says, I don't understand. Why isn't the fire being put out? And he says, come with me. They go, they go around the wall. And on the other side of the wall is, is a person pouring copious amounts of oil on the fire so that it continually burns. And the interpreter says, the man throwing water on the fire is the devil, Satan. But the man pouring oil on the fire is Jesus. He has determined and promised to see you strong unto the end. I went, yes. Kept by the power of God. I, I, I love this verse because it says, protected by the power of God. And he could have said, protected by the power of God for salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. But he says, just think about it. Protected by the power of God by faith, by faith for salvation ready to be revealed. So I look at this and I say, God protects but listen, brothers and sisters, we walk by faith. We look to him. We concentrate on the glory of the cross. We think about the things of God. I read this book, this illustration in a book recently, and the illustration is this. He says, you're a dad. You've got two or three kids. It's Saturday morning, and you wake up at 6.30. Get up, you start thinking about your day, and as you're reading, thinking, praying, you think, you know, I really would like to make pancakes for my family today. And so you slip in the kitchen quietly and not wake up your wife or the kids, and you open everything up, and you get everything out, and you're ready to start pancakes. You say, oh, we have no eggs, no eggs. And so you say, oh, I'll go to my neighbor's house. And so you go to the neighbor's house, it's 7.15, you very gently knock on the door, not to wake the kids. And finally, your neighbor comes to the door, disheveled, you know, bleary-eyed, and he says, what do you want? It's 7.15 in the morning. He said, I need two eggs. And your neighbor goes, come back at 9.30 when we get up. And he starts to close the door, and you stick your foot in the door. And you say, you don't understand. I need two eggs. There's the refrigerator. I can see the refrigerator. It's right there. Just walk over there, give me two eggs, and bring it back. And the guy says, no. He says, I'm not moving my foot. Do you do that? And so he says, okay. And he brings you two eggs. You go home. You make pancakes. You're the hero. Now, that story is based on a teaching out of the book of Luke. Listen to these verses in the book of Luke, as Jesus says. Luke 11 and verse 9. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. 
knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a snake? For if, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, I'll read that. Here's the egg story. If I am to walk by faith, I need to look to Christ. There's a note here that says, My faith looks up to thee, thou Lamb of Calvary. And one stanza says, may thy rich grace impart strength to my fainting heart, my zeal inspire. As thou hast died for me, oh, may my love to thee, pure, warm, and changeless be a living fire. And may thy rich grace impart strength to my fainting heart. Many of us today are kind of in a dip. It may be unconfessed sin, it may be negligence, whatever it is. But you're in the dip, and your cry, our cry should be every day, come Holy Spirit. Father, I come to you and I pray, come Holy Spirit, knowing that as I pray for the power that you bring Holy Spirit, I will not be given a snake instead of a fish. I won't be given a scorpion instead of an egg because you love to give good gifts. And I plead with you to come. Don't settle for mediocrity. Look to Christ. See, you're protected by the power of God. Amen. Hallelujah. By faith. By faith. By looking to Christ. And I got some verses that I just threw into the worship guide that, that dealt with this. Listen to Psalm 92, verse 10. You have exalted my horn like that of, of the wild ox. You have poured fresh oil over me. Fresh oil, Lord. Fresh oil. Don't leave me where I am. Or a verse that many of us love, Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait upon the Lord, which means to look and long and pant. You pant after the power of God. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait upon the Lord. You wait upon the Lord, which means you look to him. You plead for him. Come, Lord, by your power. You're protected by the power of God through faith. Or Hebrews eleven six, 6, the New Testament, and without faith, it is impossible to please God for everyone who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So I, I look at this and I go, God, in my brokenness and in my stumblings and bumblings and sin that me press into knowing you. And, and you do it. You do it as you let the word of God really arrange your life and as you cry out to God and as you are among God's people. These letters were written to churches, not individuals. It assumed community. I need community. I need people in my life. I need people that will go into my life more than just terminally casual friendships. Have you ever watched Discovery Channel? It's a really cool channel. I saw 
crazy show yesterday called Naked and Afraid. <laughs> you ever seen the show? I mean, the, the nakedness is beeped out, but they, they drop these people in the middle of nowhere for 21 days and say, live. I mean, that's, they, they have a machete and they're eating beetles and worms and kind of a fun show to be honest with you. But, but, but you, you, so you're watching Discovery Channel and they go to the Serengeti and you see all these animals and you see these incredibly beautiful animals called wildebeest and there are hundreds of them together and they're grazing and they go from place to place they just graze together but they stay together because on the outside fringe of the wildebeest are lions and you're a wildebeest and you're eating and you're not really paying attention and you're eating, oh, green grass over here, and you go over here, oh, green grass over here, and you go over here, and the herd just kind of goes, and you look up, and there are three lines looking at you, and the herd is about 400 yards that way. And you know what they call that, a wildebeest like that? Lunch, okay? Listen, church, listen to me, in the Christian faith, you think you're a wildebeest stud because you don't need the herd. I'm a stud. I can hang out by myself. I'm competent. I've got it together. And the Bible says Satan's a roaring lion. He wants to consume you. And you know what you call somebody who claims to be a Christian who isn't vitally involved in relationships, vitally involved in the body of Christ, vitally involved in letting the Word shape their lives? You know what they call that type of person? Lunch. Don't forget it. So trials and sufferings. He says here, if you've been grieved by various trials, and the word trials means persecution, sufferings, hardships. Being grieved by various trials. So you, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes Though it is tested by fire, may be found result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ. I'm going to be talking about trials a lot in First Peter because that's what the book is about, to a degree. That's one of the main themes of First Peter. But just some comments about trials. Number one, when you come to know Christ, you are not removed from hardship or trials or persecutions. You're given the grace to walk through them, but you're not removed. We all struggle. This is a difficult world all too often. Now, that's not to discount the beauties and the joys and the marriages and, and the good food and the beautiful city and rich friendships. Those are all gifts from God. I know that. But we live in a world that's filled with battles and blessings. And there are going to be battles from brothers and sisters. Deep, deep valleys at times. So you're never removed from the realm of suffering. Number two, this living hope that lets you walk through the darkness, this living hope, which involves at times, we go through trials and sufferings, does not last forever. Even if you have a, a disease that takes you to the grave, today and this life compared to eternity is called a little while, if necessary. They don't last forever, but heaven does. One of the primary verses to think about is in 2 Corinthians 4 where Paul says, do so we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction or trouble 
is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. This isn't a light and momentary affliction. Therefore, we do not concentrate on, on what is seen because the things that are seen are only temporary. But we think about and concentrate on the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So quickly, let me just make this digression. If you have a dear friend that, you've, that you know, especially if you have someone that you kind of know in a very casual way, and they're going through a hard time, sickness, the end of a relationship, hardship in marriage, a child is breaking their heart, and it happens all the time. I plead with you, do not give, this is only for a little while, sermon to them. They don't need that. They may need it eventually. But right at that moment, they need a friend to sit with them and drink coffee with them and to get them a meal if they need a meal, to be there to walk with them. I listened to an incredible podcast two weeks ago about a mom and a dad, well-known. What was Rick, Rick Warren and his wife, Kay? His 25-year-old son committed suicide. And she said, for six weeks, we could not get out of bed. We couldn't get out of bed for six weeks. And yet people surrounded us and loved us and brought us meals and just sat with us. So when you, when you read this, when you're walking with people or people walking with you through trials and suffering and hardship, just, just love them. So one of my favorite people is a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. And many of you know Johnny. Her dad was an Olympic wrestler. She was a vibrant, beautiful 17-year-old in Baltimore, Maryland in 1967. And um, very athletic, had the whole world in front of her. And she went swimming and she dove into a shallow water that she thought was deep. And she broke her neck and she was paralyzed from the neck down. Quadriplegic. And for two years, she said she cursed God and she was angry. And she, through the friendship of some people, she came to faith in Christ. And she's been an incredible witness for Christ. In fact, uh, I'm, so, I'm very impressed with her. Columbia International University, in, in just up the road, does not, or at that time, did not give away honorary degrees. Honorary degrees are given to people who have accomplished much or who, or, or who are going to give a lot of money to your school. Okay. You give them an honorary doctorate. But they gave her an honorary doctorate because they just want to say thank you for living for Christ. But two years ago, she had uh, the 50th anniversary of her accident. 50 years. Now 52 years in a wheelchair. And she wrote an article. And, and I read this to my wife. And I said, this is a holy statement. So let me just read it to you. Listen. This is a woman writing 50 years after this accident. She says, suffering keeps knocking me off my pedestal of pride. My displaced hip and scoliosis are sheepdogs that constantly snap at my heels, driving me down the road to Calvary, where I die to sins that my Lord and Savior Jesus died for. Sure, I have a long way to go before I am whom God destined me to be in glory. But thankfully, 
my paralysis keeps pushing me to strive to reach for that heavenly prize, Philippians 3.14. (laughs) My scoliosis, my displaced hip, are sheepdogs that constantly snap at my heels, driving me to Christ. I'm not mentioning her being a quadriplegic. And, and, And I read that and I go... God helped me to realize that hardships and sufferings and persecutions are, are, are given to us, number three, to purify our faith. A living hope that lets you walk in the dark and live through that episode in the dark is the living hope that says trials come from the Father to prove the genuine nature of our faith. Now, I don't understand that entirely, but I believe the Bible teaches it. I believe the Heidelberg Catechism that says, what is your only hope in life and death? Answer that my, my only hope in life and death is I do not belong to myself, but I belong to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who by his shed blood has purchased for me peace with God, and that not a hair can fall from my head without my heavenly Father's knowledge. I believe everything that happens in the life of a child of God comes through the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. I believe the Bible teaches that. And it says here that, 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 that trials come to test the genuineness of our faith so that when Christ comes again, it will result in praise and glory and honor for Christ, but also, I think, for the person. Praise and glory and honor. When we walk with diligence and love, There's a hymn that I love that says, when through fiery trials, God says, when through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be your supply. The flames shall not hurt thee, I only design your bad stuff to burn up and your gold to refine, or your dross to consume and your gold to refine. If if I already believe that, I'm good. So, this is my favorite Puritan, John Owen. This is volume two of 16 volumes that he wrote. He died in 1683. Yesterday was his death day. So I was thinking about John Owen yesterday. Small print, excuse me, small print. Um, 16 volumes here. He has uh, like eight volumes on the book of Hebrews and and a systematic. I mean, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. I'm going, it's just not fair sometimes to see people that are just brilliant. But John Owen is talking about communion with God and what that means. And this is what he says. It's just so good. Let me just say this. John John Owen understood sorrow. John Owen and his wife had 11 children. They buried 10 of them in infancy. 10. His only surviving child, a young woman, was married. He buried his wife shortly before his daughter was married. And six months after his daughter was married, he buried her. So he he doesn't write as a theoretical sufferer. Mm, This is what he says. And listen to this. This is so good. The Holy Spirit persuades us of the eternal and unchangeable nature of the Father. And so he fills us with hope. He says, the world hates me we say, may such a soul that has the spirits will say, but my father loves me. We will say, men despise me, 
because I'm a hypocrite. But then we say, but my father loves me as a child. We may say, I am poor in this world. But the father says, you have a rich inheritance in the love of your father. You say, I am straightened or perplexed or undone by these things. But the father says, there is bread enough in my house for you. You say, I mourn in secret under the power of my lust and sin where no eyes see me, but the Father sees me and is full of compassion, not judgment. And he says this, with a sense of the kindness of the Father, which is better than life, I rejoice in my hardships, I can glory in my afflictions, I can triumph as a conqueror, though I am killed all day long, quoting Romans. All my sorrows have a bottom that may be found. Do you hear that? Your sorrows are like swimming, and you can't find a bottom, and all of a sudden, you find a bottom. You can stand against the current. A bottom that can be found, and that's the grace of the cross of Jesus. There was a man who went to Auschwitz, and his name was Primo Levi. He was a Jew who lived in the greater area of Milan, Italy. And we got to Auschwitz. He had an A on his left wrist with the number 174517, tattooed right there. 1944, the Germans came in and they occupied that part of Italy. After Mussolini was deposed, they just still came in and they rounded up 650 Jews in the greater Milan area, mostly men, put them in the cattle cars and shipped them to Poland, a place called Auschwitz, 650. They were there for about a year and a half. This was 1944. When you entered into Auschwitz, uh, we know now that the life expectancy after you entered Auschwitz was three to four months. That was it. Primo Levi was there for about a year and a half. And when all was said and done, of the 650 people that went from his area, three survived. And so after the war, he wrote books. He felt like he needed to speak out against the atrocities to keep the memory alive. He said, I need to be a witness to the truth, a guardian of the memory. He was an atheist. The burden of surviving, a burden, why did I live? The continued reliving of the story, the high-level debates with people who debunked the Holocaust. He said, I saw it, I was there. All this took a great weight on him. And so 42 years after he was out of Auschwitz as an older man, he jumped off a building and killed himself. And there's a man named Eli Weissel who wrote a book called Night. He was in Auschwitz and Buchenwald. And he received the Nobel Peace Prize and the Presidential Medal of Freedom and was professor of humanities at Boston University for 40 some years. And this is what he said. He said, Primo Levi died at Auschwitz in, 
1944 or 45, but we buried him 42 years later. Think about it. He, buried, he died in 1944-45, but we buried him 42 years later. And I, I, I read about this brave, brilliant, well-spoken, articulate man. No hope. Shattered dreams, horrid memories, broken people, broken health, broken lives. Where, where, do, you, where do you go? Where, where do you go when, when you're going through the dark night of the soul? This passage says there is a living hope that sustains us in the dark. Through the episode of darkness, or through a long time of darkness, there is a living hope that sustains. Do you know that hope? Are you calling out to God to show you how we need to understand that hope and to love each other and to be involved with each other in a time, in a world that gives you no semblance of eternity? Man, I need you guys. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for today. Um, um, we thank you that um, the Bible is very honest, and we know through reading Scripture, and some of us who are older know that everyone in these rooms will go through dark times. And we know that depression for many people is a reality. We know that broken families hit us hard. We know that just disappointments in life pull us down. And then there will be some in this room who will be marginalized and pushed aside and mocked because they speak of Jesus and they live for Christ. So they're elect exiles and they march to a different drummer. But we thank you there is a living hope that sustains us in the dark passages because Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And we are kept by the power of God. So Lord, keep us, keep us, keep us, and let us look with expectancy and joy and hope and faith to you. Thank you that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and it will not fade away, reserved in heaven for us. What a joy, what hope. Thank you that in the fickleness of the people that we are, you are God Almighty. So we thank you. And because of that, we want to stay with Peter. In this, I greatly rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen.